Welcome to Pup Culture, the podcast all about pup ownership with me, Tom. And me, Neil. Each week we're joined by Kat the Vet, Rosie the Dog Behavioural Therapist and Producer Dawn, who will be keeping us in check and making sure that we're not making any mistakes as you follow our journey into puppy ownership. And making sure we don't forget things like our amazing sponsors, Adaptil. They basically allow you to send comforting messages to help puppies feel calm and relaxed. You can also follow us on Instagram at Pup Culture Life and send us in your photos and your stories and your mishaps um, and basically be part of the journey with us. On with the episode. Hey Pat, hey Rosie, hey Tom. Hey, yeah, there's a baby. I should tell listeners there's a small baby. I'm feeding a small baby. So, yeah, Person. things might. Small yeah. baby human. A small baby a human. Small yeah, baby, not, that, not that how small would a small baby be? That'd be tiny. And yeah, it's not a small baby. It's, it's normal baby sized. Seven pounds ten, she came out at <gasps> fighting weight. Here's a question for you. Yeah. Puppy or baby, what's easier? I don't know, because babies, like, they can't do anything, can they? They literally can't do anything. Whereas puppies, they can walk and sit up, and you don't you don't need to burp a puppy. But they get up to mischief. They do get up to mischief, but also they they do sleep a bit better. I think mm. I they tend know. to sleep through the night sooner. This is true. Yeah, they do. Mm. They do. Yeah, I think probably a puppy to begin with. Even though you've had all that practice with babies. Yeah, I know, but it's still they still they still do what they want, don't they? I can I can wish her. That she sleeps through the night as much as possible, but she's not going to do it. She doesn't want to do it. I suppose it's quite good that you've got hope here as well, because we're talking neutering. <laughs> you know what? Um, um, I've I've got I booked myself in the clinic. I've got a, I've got a face to face with the uh, with the doctor who's going to give me the old. Uh, well, to be honest, it's not really face to face. It's his face. It's not my face that he's going to be looking at, is it? <laughs> yeah. Just be careful. I know a few people, they've had it done, that, yes. and uh, they re-engaged too soon, and well, new, new babies. I've had it undone, and now I'm having it un, uh, done again. Can you not just have them taken out and thrown away? Do you know what? I think for the good of all humankind, I think we should take them off and shoot them into space before I can do any more damage. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds about right. But before before we get on to that, because we haven't had a catch up for a while, how is everyone with their their dogs? I guess Kat, you you are you still at your early stage with yours? Yeah, Mandy's about four and a half months now, Mandy the Labrador puppy. And she's a delight. She's adorable. She's fabulous. She still weeds on the kitchen floor, but she's you know, she sleeps and she poos when she should and when she doesn't poo when she shouldn't and she chews all manner of we're going through iPhone cables at a rate of knots. Um, um, but other than that, it, she's delightful. See, a que- question here. Mm. iPhone cables and cables in general, do most dogs give them a wide berth? Because, you know, Holly's never shown any interest in cables. Can they sense the, the electricity coming through them? Or is it just that Holly doesn't like the to- taste? Or I think you were just lucky. I think they're a real temptation really? for a lot of puppies, yeah. So it's not saying that they can sense. They don't have this this kind of sixth sense of knowing that there's danger underneath the cable. They can't kind of... No. No. Electrical burn injuries are not terribly uncommon in puppies for chewing through electrical cables. So you see quite a lot of them. 
Well, not quite a lot, but it is something which we would consider in a certain set of circumstances. So no, there's nothing, there's no sixth sense of sensibility. They smell really well and they hear really well, but I don't think they can sense electrical fields. And Tom, how, how are puppies in your life? Well, it's not puppies now. I guess they're, they're adolescents. They're teenage girls. They're all right. Things have calmed down a bit. We'll, I'm sure we'll get into the sort of the neutering thing a bit later, but they're, they're, they have calmed down. So when we last spoke, bit. one was having a season and the other hadn't come into season yet. Yes. No, we had a, we had a nice overlap. Yeah. That was a, a fun couple of weeks where both of them yeah. were in season and... Uh, yeah, jumping over the garden fence, Ooh. looking for sex, Ooh. which, you know, I think that's what you used to do, Neil, wasn't it, growing up in Essex? <laughs> no hedge jumping. Down jukes, mate. Down jukes. You didn't need to jump over any hedges. That's the equivalent of the jump, jumping over the garden <laughs> fence, turning down jukes. Um, yeah, no, they're, they're good. But speaking of eating, when my two were little, and not even little still, like the beds, the, the amount of beds they've eaten... We've gone through maybe four or five different beds and then like not cheap. De-stuffing, you mean? Yeah, this de-stuffing. Oh, yeah. And, you know, there's kind of nothing that they won't eat or chew. Even the kind of indestructible ones they would they would eat. It's really, really annoying and very expensive. Mm. Puppies are, just like babies. Yeah. Expensive parts of the family. Quick, as we're talking about ladies or females... Like we gave Holly a bit of a trim over the over the weekend. The never region <laughs> of a of a lady dog. I honestly wondered where this was going. Okay, great. Yeah. Yep. So the, the obviously a tuft of yeah, yeah, okay. It look, looks like we call it a turnip. It looks a little bit like a turnip on Holly. I've never seen anything <laughs> quite quite like it. But the oh, hair gosh. on the turnip was yep. it get like obviously trying to groom get, gets quite matted. Should you? Is it okay to cut the hair off a turnip? <laughs> like, it, like we we thought cutting the matting off because obviously you don't want matted hair. But she's been quite uncomfortable over the last few days, where you know she's she's licking more around that area. And I don't I don't know if whether or not it's because you know if you if you have a haircut if you have like a buzz cut or it's really short it can be quite itchy scratchy. And we don't know if maybe you've got to leave a bit more hair around. The Have turnip. you given her shaving rash on her nether regions? Is this the question you're answering? Asking? Should I? Should I do? do yeah, yeah. Is that possible? Your cockapoo, Neil. Is that? <laughs> no, we, we used the scissors. It wasn't. It wasn't that we we used the the razor around that area. But should there is there a reason for that? That maybe she just got used to the hair around the the nether region, and she's now a little bit freaked out by the fact it's not there and it's not a brazilian it's not it's nothing like that it's nothing that's glamorous no for jazzle tom from essex um but it, she does seem quite uncomfortable it's possible that you've irritated that area by trimming it if you've accidentally sort of pulled or caught the hair but it's not the wrong thing to do at all cockapoos are notorious for having thick very dense coats and around the sort of vulval region it can get a bit sweaty a bit sticky that's often where they'll lick themselves a little bit of urine sitting around on the skin and it, they can get you know soreness around that region isn't unusual so I think trimming the hair away so some air does get to it and the urine flow can escape isn't a bad idea at all but I would keep a really close eye if she continues to lick it might be worth a trip to the vets to just see if there's some skin irritation 
around right. there. But it's more likely to be a consequence of trimming rather than being caused by it, if you see what I mean. No, caused. Yeah, caused. But no, it's more likely to be caused by it than being a consequence of it. Okay. And I think around the, the higher area, um, I think, you know, the razor that we use, because we clip quite short, and maybe that is just a bit of irritation around there in terms of, you know, in the, the groin the region. Element. So inside yeah. the thighs. Yeah, a bit higher up towards the, the kind of underbelly, like the yeah. nipply area. Your wife is a lucky lady, the nipply <laughs> area. Okay, great. <laughs> I don't even know. What's that referred to as the breast of a dog? Uh, well, we would call it the groin up in, be- in in between the sort of hind legs. And then as you move sort of further forward, we'd call it the ventrum or the mammary glands. The mammary. Yeah, around the mammaries. Yeah, That's where we- around the mammaries. Has she had a season yet, Neil? No, because we 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 she was spayed before she went into her first season because she had a, a hernia. Ah, right. And they said that the risk of her getting pregnant was too great, so they wanted to to make sure that she was spayed before she had her first season. Spading before season or after season seems to be quite a big discussion and and differing views from differing vets and experts uh yes it's a huge topic and it's a huge discussion and there are lots of opinions and when there's lots of opinions and lots of discussion what that basically means is there is no right answer and it very much comes down to the individual as a general rule and opinions change all the time so when I graduated as a vet the advice was they must have at least one season because that vastly reduces the chance of urinary incontinence in later life. Now, and then, a few years later, that advice turned on its head and said, no, pre-season spay, it makes absolutely no difference to urinary incontinence in later life. And now the pendulum has swung back the other way to say, definitely let them let a lot of bitches have a first season, because that impacts on all kinds of health issues as they get older especially orthopedic issues so like ruptured cruciates and that kind of thing and also we're developing some quite breed specific advice so it depends on the breed as well and what their genetic predisposition to various things are and whether they're hormonally related or not so you can take a really deep dive but essentially the overarching advice is that if they are under 20 kilos as their adult weight then a pre-season spay is probably okay and unlikely to have significant long-term impacts physically. I'm going to let Rosie talk about behaviorally because that is slightly different. From a physical perspective, if they're under 20 kilos as an adult weight, then doing a pre-season spay is fine. If they're over 20 kilos as an adult weight, then let them have a season. But it's not the season itself that's actually the deciding point. It's the maturity of the dog. So our smaller breeds mature more quickly so we're often coming up to mature bone development and weight before they cycle and our larger breeds take longer so they've often had a cycle before they reach physical maturity so it's not really the season that's it's not like the hormones that are massively impactful it's the rate of the growth and the maturity of the dog from a physical health perspective however you could probably argue that you put a bunch of vets in the room especially if they're opinionated they argue forever a quick thing on that. What's quite interesting, and this has nothing necessarily to do with, with the neutering of, of, of the dog, but you're saying that bigger dogs take longer to mature, but their season's about the same time? 
so bigger dogs don't come into season later than smaller so, dogs, like 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 a, a cockapoo, maybe smaller dog. I don't know what nine months for first season would would a St Bernard be of nine months as well, or could that be much much further down the line? The smaller dogs do tend to cycle a little bit earlier, but not massively so. Again, it's really dependent on the breed. You know, sometimes you'll get like a seven-month-old Yorkshire Terrier having her first cycle. And you might get a, a Labrador, I would probably say, would probably be around about 12 months. So, yeah, it does kind of follow, I guess. But one thing we wouldn't do is spay if they are revving up for a season or showing any signs of that. Because there can be problems if the hormones are all over the place or starting to ramp up that can have impacts, particularly behaviourally. So the overarching advice that is current, as far as I'm aware, is under 20, pre-season fine, over 20, let them have a cycle. But there are more, you know, you can drill down into breed specifics. But again, there are no hard and fast rules. However, I will say from a a surgical perspective, pre-season spay on any dog is a dream surgery because the uterus is small and its blood supply is small and the bitch is slim and there's no fat and the surgery is much much easier give me you know a two-year-old labrador with a bit of chunk on her nightmare surgery really really difficult and i guess that that brings its own risks with it in terms of the the bigger complexities yeah, yeah. There's more potential for complications and bleeding during or after surgery if the bitch is fat or older. The complication rate is still very low. It's a quite a complex surgery, but it's one that we perform on a reasonably regular basis. So we're good at them. We just might not necessarily enjoy them very much. I don't particularly enjoy a bitch spay, to be honest. But, you know, we do them because prevention, ultimately, whether you spay pre or post-season, doesn't have huge impacts. But if you if you leave them entire it does have very big impacts on health they can about 25 percent of them will develop an infected uterus called a pyometra which is a life-threatening condition and requires emergency surgery it's very expensive and they're very sick um and around about 25 percent well that's always been the quoted figure but there are some dispute around that at the minute will develop breast cancer because of the influence of estrogen on the mammary glands like in women so the sooner you get rid of a large amount of estrogen by removing the ovaries, the more you reduce the chance of breast cancer. So earlier spays are very, very effective at that particularly. Interesting. And I think a couple of things just to drill down into. Number one, you mentioned if a bitch is coming into season, then, you know, you can't have the operation. You can't, you, you can't kind of go through that process. How can you tell what, what are the signs that you've got, and we're not talking about what Tom experienced in terms of all of a sudden that you know you've got to get the mop out and you're cleaning up after them. Is there is there anything that's obviously not so visible that will give you the sense that they're coming into season into into their first season? Well, I think in the vast majority of cases, suddenly realizing you need a mop is actually the first sign. You know, the first season can be quite sort of silent until they start to bleed. So yeah, often the first sign is. A little spots of blood or they're licking themselves a bit more and suddenly you realize that the turnip is larger than it used to be <laughs> x marks the spot for the boy dogs you know they're, they're given a very clear signal as you know where where the action is required so yeah it, it's often just that that you see it but if we yeah we'll when we get the dogs in we'll always give them a full check over have a look at the vulva slash turnip 
and look at the mammary glands as well because often sometimes they start to get a bit bigger or fuller if she's starting to think about cycling or if she's not settled down quite yet because that's the other that's the other thing if we're doing a post-season spay it's really important that the season is settled and all the hormones are settled back down again before we neuter them. And how how long is that? How long does that take? And is that different per breed or is that is that like, is it three months? Is it? So this is a really, really interesting point. And I learned something very recently listening to Rosie's organisation, the APBC. So I think I will pass that on to Rosie and say, Rosie, at what point post-season should we spay them? So it should be... Was it 19 weeks past the end of the season, which is generally a, a little bit later than what's typically recommended? Because so in answer to your question, Neil, it would be based on the individual. If there's basically if there's any physical signs at all of swollen teats or milk being able to be squeezed out or any liquid, even if it's clear liquid or any behavioral signs of change of demeanor associated with the season, then you do not spay a bitch when they're showing those signs because their hormones get stuck in the female dog thinking she's pregnant. Like that's how the hormones just get stuck if you spay them in that period. So you need to make sure that those hormones are really properly out of the system before spaying. As one of my nurses put it to me when I said, I've learned this really interesting new fact, um, uh, you mean that they're PMSing all over the place forever. And I was like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there was this. There was a visit. How does that present itself in dogs, Rosie? How how does that kind of? It can be all sorts. So if a bitch shows kind of sudden onset of aggression post season, that would be their hormones raging. If they are nesting or like taking all their toys to a bed or mothering their toys or showing you know real classic signs of false pregnancy, as we call it, or phantom pregnancy. But just sudden behaviour change post-season or sort of three to four weeks post-season in particular, it would be worth speaking to the vet because sometimes the hormones don't settle by themselves. Normally, if you give it long enough, they will. But sometimes the vet will need to prescribe a hormone. What is it, Kat? Synthetic hormone or something? Yeah, you effectively sort of need to turn off progesterone. So you need to turn off the pregnancy hormone because the hormonal changes when a bitch has had a season, whether she's pregnant or not, are actually the same for about four to five weeks. So they can go into this false pregnancy where the body acts as if it's pregnant. So there's those very classic signs of mothering toys, like Rosie said, taking them to her bed. Often the mammary glands will fill up. The theory is that in a pack situation, is this right, Rosie? Like the matriarchal bitch will be pregnant or in the wolf anyway. The You know, the sort of matriarchal bitch will get pregnant, but the others will often cycle and can sort of cross suckle the pups and things. I don't know whether that theory is actually correct. So there's that. But and some of them, some of them show very clear physical signs. So there's behavioural changes. They get grumpy. They can get aggressive. They can get. They're just yeah. They're just PMSing. They're, they're just you know just ladies and their hormones. And you know the boobs fill up. Um, and sometimes we need to give them medication to turn that process off. And a lot, but a lot of the time we just let it you know run its course if it's not too distressing. But if you've got a dog who is showing signs of a false pregnancy after a season it will generally get worse each time. So our advice is, right, when she's finally settled and we finally turn these hormones off, let's get her spayed. But this new piece of sort of really interesting thinking and research is that if we spay them too soon, even if they're not showing signs of false pregnancy hugely, we can leave them in a sort of hormonal stasis, which can impact on their behavior and their anxiety. Bitches cycle every six months. So we used to say, or I have always said for years and years, do it three months 
you know, after the season has settled down, before the next one gets going, we'll do it about three months. But now we're try- we're encouraging to do it at four months to make absolutely certain all those hormones have settled and we'll still catch them before it all kicks off again. And to, like, Tom, you, you've obviously just been through this with both your dogs in terms of their first... Is it? Are you out the other side? Yeah, no, I think so. Because they would, as I say, they were sort of jumping to escape, which seems to have stopped. But you also don't know if that's just because they want to escape and explore the next door's garden. They were very angry at each other, or rather Tess, Black Lab, was very angry at Willow and quite territorial when it came to sort of like uh, sleeping in the same bed as, as them. But they seem to have, yeah, it all seems to have kind of calmed down a bit. Is that them just kind of being puppies? Is that, that them sort of coming into season? Is it a bit of both? But it does feel like it's, it's, it's definitely we kind of, we're through the worst of it. And is it like, again, this is another question in terms of, and it's, it's spading and castrating, but the reason that you're not doing it at the moment, you want to breed Tess and Willow? I think, no. were, you, were you talking about... No. No more babies or puppies. I guess. <laughs> well, you know, I thought you were you were deciding to maybe for your favourite dog. No, to, L, no, L not- said maybe we should breed them, and I went, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> this is, and, and it's listening to you guys talking about how you basically don't make any money from it, and it's really really hard work. Um, it feels like we've got enough on our plate, so no, we are going to. We will go spay them when the timing is right. But yeah, no, no. Time, timing is right as in before their next season? Yeah. Or? Yes, you need to make a note, Tom, of when roughly the last yeah. lines of it's, the season were. It was were. sort of like a week or two ago. So, so yeah, from four months, from four months from the last week, then we, yeah. will, we will get them done. Yeah, no, it's, I don't think there's any kind of debate in terms of doing that we you know i think that's the trouble isn't it? people think oh we'll just breed dogs but actually you know i'm, I'm not a bro- dog breeder so i that to me that would be really kind of foolhardy to try and do anything like that so yeah no we'll get them seen to maybe we'll, maybe we'll all go i'll go and i'll take the dogs with me we can all have like a family day out everyone getting spayed and castrated <laughs> <laughs> three two for the price of three yeah. three three for the price of two so I actually let my young bitch have two seasons before I spayed her based on like Kat was saying the evidence of the more seasons they have the greater chance of mammary cancer and I think is it generally the research says that after three seasons the risk increases so but the reason I let her have a second is to let her behaviorally mature and this is true for both dogs and bitches so if you neuter a dog or a bitch when they are behaviorally still quite immature that's where they get stuck they don't have the benefit of the hormones maturing them their brain hormones you know they're not just about reproductive system they actually do change our brains a huge amount as well is that set in stone or is that with every dog so holly who obviously didn't come into maturity is she stuck now in that kind of younger phase yeah well if you think about the brain changes we go through in our adolescence when our hormone starts raging. There must be cases of humans that, for medical reasons, need to maybe have ovaries removed or or, or aspects. And uh, do we think that it stifles their growth? Pre-puberty, yeah. yeah, I think there is a lot of evidence on humans. Yeah, so I think look at the evidence and the effects on humans and sort of apply that, then, yeah, it's a no-brainer that it would affect dogs. Well, so it's less of an issue behaviorally with bitches. And actually, like Kat said, sometimes pre-season neutering 
actually prevents this whole phantom pregnancy issue that we sometimes see that can create its own behavioural problems. So I think it's less of an issue in bitches in my experience. However, in dogs, if you have quite an anxious or fearful dog, castrating that dog is very likely to make their anxiety and their fear worse because testosterone is a confidence-giving hormone. So if you take away what little confidence they already have and leave them with even less, that can increase anxious behaviour. So could this have been a case because obviously Holly very young and you talk about anxiousness but testosterone mainly in dogs but obviously Holly with her her fly phobia and that kind of anxiousness in things that seem quite trivial could that have been because being spayed too early or no so there's no evidence to show that like spaying a bitch pre-season will increase fear or anxiety issues so I wouldn't worry too much about that but in dogs there's definitely a link there and yeah, so vets will now generally, if you if they're brought in a really anxious dog, they will generally say we recommend leaving your dog to have testosterone going around its system for a bit longer, and maybe reconsider it in X amount of time, or just if there's no real behavioural reason to neuter, then yeah, it's only going to be a disadvantage to neuter. Then they might say that in this individual, and if, if it's a responsible owner that's not going to let their entire male go off and hump all the dogs in the park, then on balance, it might be recommended to keep this dog entire. It's really difficult, though, isn't it? I, I suppose as a, a dog owner with only one dog and not having anything to compare to. It's, it's really with the behavioural side. It's really difficult to gauge what she may have been like had she gone through a first season. I guess unless you know the the other litter members and whether or not they had different. Yeah, traits. I think sometimes it almost well for the it, a lot of the time it doesn't necessarily matter if you still got like a dog stuck in adolescence if they're able to cope with life and they're happy and they're balanced and. You know, there is a degree of maturity that comes with age. Because I know people like Rosie as a vet, I do tend to sort of chat about the dog's personality before we neuter anything now. And we, we're quite on it with the dogs, but we're gaining the knowledge in the bitches that they are similarly affected in a lot of the cases. But I think cockapoos, I wouldn't like beat yourself up or worry about it too much. It wasn't the wrong decision at all. And cockapoos are generally quite highly strung, anxious little dogs anyway. So she probably would be normal. just the same. <laughs> yeah, she probably would be just the same. Uh, but yes, I try to leave all my boy dogs now till they're a year. And then we, and then we assess them. And in the, giant, in the giant breed dogs, it might not be, you know, they're not behaviorally socially mature until 18 months, two years of age. And you can see if you neuter a male dog young, let's say five, six months, which historically, again, probably when Cat graduated, that was the norm back then. Not, not saying it was that long ago. Back yeah. in the day. Um, <laughs> if you compare a dog that's been neutered, a male dog that's been neutered young physically compared to a dog that's been left entire for a couple of years, let their hormones, they will physically look very different. The one that's been neutered young will often be quite lanky and scrawnier looking than the one who's been left entire for a bit longer. And that, that will have the impact that Kat was saying about the orthopedic and yeah that's um, where the theories about the orthopedic problems come in particularly about them rupturing their knee ligaments and things like that however the jury is still out because neutered dogs do tend to gain more weight so it's not an inevitability and you can keep them slim but they are more vulnerable to weight gain and if you've got if you're fatter your joints are under more pressure so you're potentially more likely to damage them so it's not there is still the debate still rages and it's very difficult to account for all the variables to really point towards it I know a lot of breeders have these very very strict and set ideas but the evidence base is not 
quite there yet. However, you know, we can whip the balls off a dog at any age. It's not a problem. And from a health from a health perspective, Tom, listen to yeah. listen to Ken, Tom. Any age, mate, yeah. they're coming. Any up. age, whether whether it's an old dog, you know, <laughs> or a young one. the old dog in this yeah. <laughs> I think you might be the old one. And Tom, there's there's also a really cool thing that vets can do to male dogs, which unfortunately we can't do to humans yet. But it's a little implant <laughs> that you can give a male dog under the skin that mimic it's a chemical castration so it mimics the effect of castration in a male dog so if you're not sure if you've got a dog that's a bit anxious and you're not sure like you might have some reasons you want to neuter them and some you don't you're not sure the effect it's going to have you can trial that it lasts six months or 12 months depending on what what you use and you can kind of assess the effect of castration on your dog everything shrivels up and disappears and looks like they've been castrated it's quite amazing and then when it wears off, they grow back. You, and do you find the person, <laughs> like the personality, when they've had this synthetic castration, is the same changes in their personality as it, as it would be if they had everything yeah. removed? There's no, there's no yes. difference at all. So you can, you can basically test what your dog will be like. And yeah. is, is there a big shift? You know, do they become more docile, more relaxed? Because I think my, my mum and dad, their dog, I think I mentioned their crazy border collie. You know, they they had him castrated and it didn't make a blind bit of difference. He was... Well, he was that, yeah, that's worse. what I would say is that people say, you know, well, it changed him. And I say, we'll say no. Like, I don't think from an impact on, like, personality as, like, who the dog is, you know, whether they're cheeky or laid back or the funny little quirks that we consider them them. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't think it really changes that. And I always make a point no. to say it doesn't... It's not going to change who they are. And it's certainly not an not a quick fix for training. You know, you're not going to turn your bouncy, uncontrollable Labrador into the perfect gentleman just by whipping his balls off. Do you do you think people believe that though? Do you get people come oh, to yeah. you and say, "Hey, you know, we're we're going to have to get it all taken out because he's just too crazy, and we need an easy life." You yeah. think you know people have a big belief with that? Without a doubt, absolutely. Yeah. But it's all rubbish. But I think there is some effort. I I think there is some value to the the statement that it might make them a little bit more trainable and biddable. I think some some boy dogs, if they're I don't know about what you think, Rosie, about this, but I think some boy dogs are quite hormonally driven. And living in suburban areas where there's always a bitch on heat somewhere, and their sense of smell is really sensitive. I just wonder how many, if they're that way inclined, are just living in a little bit of like sexual frustration. Yeah, completely agree. But I think that the thing is when it's only going to impact sexually driven, hormonally driven behaviours. So like scenting bitches in heat or being sexually frustrated or leg mark, urine marking behaviour or roaming, all of those humping behaviours potentially if it's hormonally driven. But it's not just going to, like your border collie, it's not just going to calm, magically calm a dog down because it's not hormonally driven behaviour. And that's where I think the myth comes in that, yeah, calm, it will calm your dog down, neutering your male dog. But I mean, it definitely fixes something. I had a dog once that used to masturbate all the time in the most awful, like in the most public situations. And the way this dog did it, I have never seen, I've never seen anything like it. It learned to hook its back leg under its front leg, thus catching its penis in between them. So it sort of hooked the legs together, squishing its penis towards its belly. And then it would like do this. You were taught at a private school, weren't you, Tom? <laughs> I didn't go to private school. How dare you? And I, I said to him, I'm not really sure, you know, we'll neuter it, but I'm not really sure if it will help because, you know, this might be a learned behaviour now. Anyway, fixed it right up. 
sorted and made him very much more socially acceptable. So it does help with some things. So it never went back to that weird front leg, back leg he masturbation? Never, I mean, we did potentially take a lot of pleasure off that of chat, but we did save the living room carpet from a lot of abuse. <laughs> oh, lovely. Is, and and do you? Oh, I don't know if I want to talk about hornier dogs than than other hornier dogs. <laughs> but this is, is that? I suppose that that is a reason to get them castrated because I guess that becomes a bit of a bit of a nightmare if you've got a, a hornier dog that just humps everything. Well, I think it's worth saying that in a lot of countries, I think um, sort of Norway and Sweden, perhaps it's not the norm to neuter. So there has to be a medical. There has to be an, a good reason to neuter. So most dogs out there are kept. Yeah. And it, what, um, what, you know, it what's the reason for that? Really... Is that just uh, well, if it, if there's not a medical reason, then it's causing more damage, or it's... they consider it a surgical mutilation. So in their animal welfare laws, it's considered a surgical mutilation, and there's a lot of disquiet about it. But because the Norway, because the Northern Europeans, like the Norwegians and the Nordic countries, are so civilized. You know, they're all in complete control of their dogs all the time. So they one one of those countries doesn't actually have a stray population because they're so good at controlling their dogs and rescuing them. And, you know, it doesn't follow that having entire dogs leads to problems necessarily. But it doesn't here, does it? Like dogs don't roam and wander like they like they used to. We, we're new to them for health benefits for them. And uh, there are much higher incidences of infected uteruses and mammary cancers in those countries. And also for ease, you know, having a bitch in season every six months is a lot of work and annoying. And we've always neutered our bitches for that reason. For the boys, I think it's worth saying that the health the health benefits for the girls are very marked. The, the health benefits for the boys are not, not so much. Less than 5% of them get testicular cancer. And it's from when they do. And one ball goes like a, like a potato and the other one goes like a grape. If we just new to them at that point, it's generally quite curative. It's quite slow growing cancer, and but they and they still can get prostate problems. But they are they're not significantly less. You can still get prostate problems if you're neutered. So we're generally neutering the boys either because that's what the owners want and it's not going to impact on the boy negatively, or yeah, well that's why we neuter them, or or we just leave them entire and we lock them off if they're problematic. But a lot of the time they're on. Yeah, if it ain't, if it ain't broke, don't fix yeah. it. Eh? Just rewinding on something that you, you said about strays in the UK. We don't get a lot walking around. I can't remember if it, if it was you guys we, we were speaking to in a previous podcast or, or maybe something I saw on TV from another vet that did a show about people breeding dogs during the pandemic. And it was talking about the number of dogs that were actually put down. It seemed, it, I, I can't remember if it was in the thousands, of, like a, a week or something. That can't, is that right, Kat? Do you know? Like, it seemed like a, I remember listening to it going, oh, my God, the reason we don't see any strays is if they're not picked up within a week, at a, like the Blue Cross or whatever it is, they're, they're put down. And the numbers seem ridiculously high. They're all being shot. I think it is a bit of an urban myth that so many strays are euthanized. I think most strays do end up in the stray population, I would suggest. Some of them do. But there's a very, very strong rescue ethos in our country. So if a dog is genuinely picked up wandering off the street, it goes to the dog warden. It's then kept on a legal seven-day hold, waiting for an owner to come forward. If an owner doesn't come forward after seven days, then the dog is up for rehoming via the council kennels, or a lot of rescues will then come and take them out of the council kennels and take them to their rescue centres to rescue. Some are put to sleep. 
but in my experience they're most are put to sleep because of health problems you know they're just really super poorly animals some are unfortunately euthanized due to behavioral issues because that's often why they end up in the rescue center in the first place yeah but i don't think it's as many as people think really there's quite a demand for rescue dogs so i think most of them can be rehomed the problems with rehoming rescue dogs comes from the fact that a lot of them do have problems and not every there's you know they need very specific homes yeah and i think on one of the first episodes we we spoke about that the reason that we bought a dog is because we couldn't rescue because of having two young kids and you know as you said it's because of a lot of behavior issues so i think you know but those dogs don't end up in rescue because you know the bitch wanders off down the road and you know suddenly produces a litter of puppies in the shoe cupboard that's not right. why those dogs are in the rescue system. Those dogs are in the rescue system. There is, you know, there is a problem with overbreeding dogs, but they're all done deliberately on puppy farms. They're not done by accident. Right, okay. Yeah. So um, let's kind of finish off on, in terms of the neutering of puppies and dogs, preparing people. Like if you, if you own a puppy and you're going to take it in to be castrated or spayed, you know, I think it'd be nice to know things that you can do. Because I don't think I was prepared for the the emotional trauma of mm. picking Holly up after major surgery. And, you know, she was in pieces for about, I don't know, probably over a week, nearly like 10 days. And I don't think I was fully expecting it. I was like, oh, yeah, it's routine. We'll go in and it will be fine. And, you know, she hid under the, the sofa for like three days, didn't wee for about a day and a half, didn't have a poo for about five days. You know, it was it was quite tough. And is there? I think we we got the cone, and that was a nightmare. And then we got the pillow thing, that the ridiculous color, which was a nightmare. So we got a baby grow that worked well, that was effective. But that was like three steps down the line. Like, what, how do you prepare people for bringing, you know, a recently spayed or castrated dog home, and how to how to deal with it? And it could be that, that again, Holly had her hernia as well. So maybe that was a slightly bigger operation. But, you know, her, her left leg, her back left leg, rear leg, barely barely put down, poor thing. Aww. So I tell you what, I'll take the physical and Rosie can take the behavioural. So I think we work really hard to reduce post-operative pain, but there is inevitably going to be some. Obviously, they're sent home with pain relief and that sort of thing. Obviously, it's really important they don't mess with the wound, you know, they don't lick it or anything. But a lot of the time when they lick their wounds, it's because they're sore. So, you know, if you've got a bitch who really isn't herself post-surgery and we all have different pain thresholds and Holly is clearly a sensitive soul. So if you've got a dog who does come home from surgery and really, really is, you know, not themselves after sort of one to two days, sometimes, especially the littler breeds, I do find schnauzers especially, I often send them home with extra pain meds straight from the off because they just seem to, they're like dying flies for several days. You know, we can give them extra pain relief, but if they're not, if they're not, really perking up then definitely give them something labradors like the next day it's like nothing's happened well i've heard that there's some people and and maybe it is labrador owners i've spoken to it is literally like no 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 next day fine walking about nightmare they want to run off the lead whereas yeah holly like two two weeks yeah yeah so you have to be prepared for about if you've had a traditional spay which is where there's a line down the middle of their belly on the underneath and the entire uterus and the ovaries have been removed then you will have a wound that's between three and four inches long and it's the stitches in the muscle that we worry about the most. We don't want them to pop and them to herniate because that will require more surgery. So that's why we ask you to sort of keep them on the lead and keep them fairly rested while the muscle heals. <laughs> but we are also aware that what we're asking you to do is rest 
a young and lively dog. So we put quite a lot of stitches in there to make sure they don't pop. And yes, they need to lead only exercise for about 10 to 14 days, pain relief for that period of time and some sort of protection for the wound, be that a cone of shame, a life boy around their neck or really a tard, something. What would be your, what would be your choice? Are you allowed to give a favourite, like a top three? I think the easiest thing to do is to put a baby grow on them, like a doggy, a doggy, ba- a doggy body suit. But it very much depends on the dog. Like for some, out of sight is out of mind. So if they're wearing a doggy baby grow and they can't see their wound, then that's fine. For others, that means absolutely nothing or it makes it more interesting. And the cone of shame is where it's at. And you can buy, you know, generally your vets will sell you the fairly cheap, stiff plastic ones that cost about seven to 10 pounds. Or you can have the the puffy blow up collars or you can buy your own we don't not very many vets sell posher versions of buster collars but you can buy them on on amazon really easily like lovely soft neoprene ones because i think if you've got a dog wearing a buster collar you end up with these really weird shaped bruises on the back of your legs these sort of slightly curved lines where they've run into the back of your legs but there is another another option for neutering our girl dogs, which is called a laparoscopic spay, which some practices do, but not all of them. It's not terribly common, but it, it's growing in popularity where it's done laparoscopically. So rather than one wound three to four inches long, you have two wounds that are about a centimetre long. And all that's removed in those surgeries is the ovaries. So the uterus is left and they just take the ovaries out because they're just taking them through tiny holes. And the recovery from that surgery is very fast two to three days and they're back to normal levels of exercise and generally aren't particularly painful either. But not every practice offers it and it does tend to be quite significantly more expensive. They're often two to three times the price of a traditional spay. So yes, pain relief, rest and the right protection for the wound. But if you're at all concerned, call your vet. Rosie, how do we entertain a lively young bitch after surgery? Yeah, so well, my Labrador was really in really out of sorts for good 12 to 14 hours as well, really in pain and unhappy. But then, yeah, decided she was fine. So it is about on lead walks, lots of sniffing. So remembering that sniffing is really mentally tiring for them. So lots of hiding toys or hiding treats and then keeping them on the lead to go around, getting them to search for it. And lots of just hanging outside, letting them watch the world go by and snuffling around. You don't have to just keep them inside, but lots of little and off and popping them outside for sniff, sniffs, I would say. Yeah, it's it's not easy, but um, but definitely important when they have had, like Kat said, if they've had a standard spay, it's major abdominal surgery. So it's really important for a short well, period. To keep. The, uh, the other thing I would say is that the standard buster collars, from my point of view, the plastic ones are generally the ones that dogs struggle with. like and also I think they are an echo chamber in, ter- in terms of noise dogs get really stressed from it so I think whilst they're dealing with the pain and the coming around from the GA and the vet visit use yeah baby grows or inflatable or fabric collars would always be my recommendation just talking about that about obviously it's quite a serious operation Rosie do you find some dogs will have long lasting kind of trauma from it in terms of the operational side I must admit, Holly always really wants to go back to the vet. She has this thing of every time we walk past, she wants to go into it. I don't know how well you can be treated with having your, your ovaries and everything removed, but she does seem quite keen to go back there. But do you get long-term trauma? Yeah, definitely you get long-term trauma. If, if they're, how do I word this politically correctly? If the vet has been sympathetic and the vet staff, reception, you know, that goes from everyone, from receptionists, care assistants, nurses, vets, 
if they've been sympathetic to the dog's emotional state and you know made that visit for that individual dog as least stressful as possible then they're not going to be too phased by it but if the dog is extremely fearful and and or painful then they're going to very quickly get a negative strong negative association with the veterinary practice vet staff and you're in a tricky situation then it's very hard to undo once a dog's had a traumatic experience at the vets because every time they go to the vets they're either in pain and or ill and or have something painful not very pleasant done to them so it's really tricky you want to try and maintain as positive association as possible with your vet practice so that's great that holly's yeah that's that's really true and it often boils down it's kind of it's difficult because if we've got a dog who's really fearful you have to handle them safely but i mean we've got a lot of drugs so we're now very good at you know if you've got a dog who's really fearful and afraid of afraid we can give them like pre-appointment sedatives and stuff like that we're doing that really frequently. I think we're getting better and better at that, particularly because we're seeing such a lot of foreign stray dogs who loads of them have problems. And I have to, unfortunately, drug loads of them up to get them through the door. But yeah, we work quite hard to try and keep it as nice as possible. And we're not above bribing our patients at all. So there's, I'm sure Holly knows that there is a box <laughs> of treats on the desk at the reception. And if she gets in, she gets one. So there's always plenty of snacks. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I think a couple of things. Here. Number one, it'd be really interesting in another episode, I think, if we talk about, I guess, the influx of foreign dogs. If people are thinking about rescuing a dog and where you rescue from, because a couple of we've met circling, they tend to be maybe a little bit more aggressive. Or where did you get that dog from? It's like, oh, it's a Hungarian street dog or it's, you know, it's from Romania. And it's the, the people that I've met have maybe had a few more issues with them than from UK dogs. But that's another episode. I think the other thing maybe to highlight is if your dog is being either castrated or, or spayed, speak to the vet. Speak to the vet. Yeah. Get some advice and just kind of make sure that you're, you're getting it done at the right time. But we'll finish because Dawn's not here on doggy data. And I've got an interesting one. It's, it's, let's see who can get closest. So, Rosie, you, you can go first. What is the largest litter size in recorded history? The, the record-breaking litter size. How many do you think? I think I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I'm going to go eighteen. Okay, eighteen. Tom. I, all I was going to say is, do you get a bonus point if you can name the breed as well? Go on. Oh, I don't know what it is. I thought yeah. you. Oh. <laughs> I don't know because you know you're you're the dog experts. So you might know that certain dogs have lots of litter, uh, lots of little puppies, and certain dogs don't. So I just, I was, yeah. Throwing you a bonus point. Okay, well, I've. I've, I've so, what's I've, your guess? I think I'm going to guess 14. 14, okay. Yeah. So I'm going to go 21. What? And I'm also going to try and get the bonus point, And I'm going to say it was out of a Neapolitan Mastiff. Oh. What? I'm going to go down there. I'm going for a golden retriever. <laughs> hold on, hold on. 14 and 12. Okay, Kat, you. you, have you you must have some background knowledge on this. Which is a vet, so... Yeah. <laughs> I'm also a bit of an animal obsessive, so... Neil, what's the answer? Well, okay, well, like, we've kind of got two right answers. Tom, you, you haven't got any of those. 14, no. <laughs> you didn't get it. I'll mute myself now, shall I? I'm out of the running. Okay. So, Kat, you are right with 21. 
in terms Ooh. of in the litter. However, Rosie, only 18 of them survived. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. But That's for the bonus point, yeah. Neapolitan Mastiff. Oh, Even wow. back, do you, you know that? the name? No, I've no idea. <laughs> Shadow. Shadow. I'm in sure Perth I saw that in the news. Perth, Australia. 21 delivered. 18 survived. <sighs> Biggest number for you, Kat, delivered? The C-sections we do these days are pretty... We're generally doing them off the brackies and they don't have very many. But I think probably six or seven is what we t- generally deliver if we're doing C-sections. Mandy, I think, was one of 10 puppy Labradors of quite a big litter. You know that would happen to you, Tom. Tom, if you, if, if Willow and Tess had babies, you know no, you, would, no, you would be yeah, breaking the yeah, record. Yeah. We're not having any more babies. Very prolific at babies, Tom. I reckon you would have quite... Yeah, maybe let's go for a record. No, I'm not. Have you got baby hope to she sleep? Is, hang on, let me see if I can tilt this. There. Are we just looking oh, at baby? baby. Podcast is so now. fascinating. She's, uh, it's, the, it's the soothing tones of, of knowledge being spread around yeah. on the internet. That's what she likes. It's made her... Made, oh, no, she's smiling now. Might be wind. Who yeah. knows? Okay, well that that's it. That's all about neutering castration. <laughs> I'm going to get the big cone. By the way, I've decided to get the big cone rather than the onesie when I get seen. To I, don't, I think onesie, the onesie will be far <laughs> better don't for the office. Mess. Don't lick your wounds, Tom. To be okay. Honest, if, I could, if I could lick my wounds, I wouldn't be in this mess in the first place. No licking your wounds. <laughs> you had any ribs removed? No, that was an urban myth. <laughs> Enjoy your two days. Feet up on the safe then, Tom. As if. That's not going to happen, is it? Thanks very much for listening to Pup Culture, the podcast all about dogs and puppies. You've been listening to me, Tom, and Neil, producer Dawn, Cat Vet, and Rosie, the behavioural therapist. Join us again soon for another episode. Um, But we're going to say a big thank you and big thanks to our sponsors. Yeah, so thanks ever so much to Adaptil. Basically, they help send comforting messages for your puppies to feel calm and relaxed. So go check them out. Thanks again to them for supporting us on this journey. Also, make sure you follow us on Instagram at Pup Culture Life. We want to see your pictures and we want to hear those stories. See you again soon.